This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc spring is that you warmer temps mean new albert styles meet the super light collection the lightest ever shoes from albert's now in fresh colors these must-have travel shoes have a lighter than air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever that means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.
Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Monday, December 11th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the weekend's box office stories, maybe a little bit of uh, film and TV news, and then also, I think, in the back half of the show, we're going to try to dive into the water cooler to talk about what we've been watching. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, I'm doing great. Uh, This morning, saw the publication of a story that I've been working on for months at Slash Film called The Mask of Zorro at 25, an oral history of the last old school blockbuster. And I spoke with over a dozen people who helped make the movie The Mask of Zorro, which uh, celebrated its 25th anniversary earlier this year. One of my favorite action adventure sort of swashbuckling movies. I love this movie so much. Um, So it was a real thrill to be able to talk to a bunch of folks about all the work that they did. There's just some incredible stories in this piece. Um, It's very, very long, but I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And if you're a fan of that movie, uh, all I would ask is that if you read it and enjoy it, you would share this article because like I said, this was like literally months of me tracking people down, talking to them, putting this whole thing together. And, uh, I would love to, um, to spread the word about this article. And I know this movie is like widely beloved. So, you know, send it to family members and friends and whatever, like your blow up your, your, uh, group chats with it or whatever. Um, anything you could do to sort of like help spread this out. Uh, I would love to, I would love as many people, um, you know, to be able to like uh, enjoy the fruits of this labor as possible because these stories in here are really, really awesome. So I just ben, wanted can to say I that ask, do you know what the final word count of the piece was? Uh, it's just under 30,000 words, Ryan. Oh my God. <laughs> it's the longest thing I've ever written by a long, long, long shot. Yeah, because yeah, like- my, my sinister one, I think, ended up close to 15,000 or something. I don't remember. It was a lot, but that felt like a hulking you know, undertake. Oh my God. And that, wow. That's a, yeah. Cause you joked earlier with me. You're like, this could have been a book. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's actually pretty close to a short book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, it's quite a beast. It might take people like, you know, multiple sittings to actually read through it. But the good thing is we're releasing it in the beginning of December. And this is like that period where a lot of people who, a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast are, you know, working are lucky enough to work in jobs where like, uh, you know, if you're just sitting behind a desk all day, this is the kind of uh, time where a lot of industries kind of slow down and like, you know, people just like push things off until the beginning of next year or whatever. So a lot of people are probably like killing a lot of time at work, um, just kind of waiting for the day to end. And this is a great way to fill that space. So, uh, yeah, check it out if you can. I would really appreciate uh, you spreading the word and and let me know what you think of it. Uh, hit me up on uh, Instagram and Twitter and I'm at, on threads as well at Ben Pears. So. Um, okay, let's get into it, Ryan. Tell me about uh, the box office news stories that we need to know about from this past weekend. Yeah, so um, this was a like suspiciously quiet weekend at the box office. Um, we're, we're kind of in a weird dull spot, like before studios try to get into the, uh, you know, the 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 Christmas holiday box office stuff. So it was a little bit of holding stuff back. It felt like um, so this was sort of like an, a somewhat abandoned weekend by Hollywood. Um, but actually, that, actually, before we go any further, I, I'm curious what you think about that. Cause there have been a lot of these weekends. Um, it feels like recently there have been a, a few of these where it, yeah, n- studios just kind of don't release things. And I'm wondering if you think this is a casualty of like the pandemic and sort of, um, slowed down production schedules and like stuff being moved, you know, and, and delayed for various reasons and the strike and all of that. Yeah, like, it's, you- it's literally everything you just said. Okay. It, it's, it's, and also you have to look at certain things didn't perform as well as, 
you know, expected like with, you know, Disney's wish being a big one and then the Marvel's being another big one. And and so some of this stuff that was maybe sort of expected to still sort of be hanging around right now just isn't. I see. Um, so and, if those movies were, you know, performed in the way that they were intended to, maybe these these weekends wouldn't feel quite as empty because the yeah know, conceivably yeah. that conversation would still be going on about those pro- those conceivably projects. And, and yeah we could have used another bigger but again I think because things got kicked around things it, it's just it, it happens sometimes it, you're always going to have a couple of dead weekends in a year but yeah so I think it's just some combination of everything you just mentioned but what I will say is that it did open up an opportunity for a very unique history-making weekend. Um, So uh, uh, The Boy and the Heron, which is uh, 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 Studio Ghibli's and uh, uh, Miyazaki's uh, first film in a decade, uh, actually topped the box office. It is the number one movie in North America, and this marks the first time that uh, an original Japanese animated film has come in at number one in North America. So it's it's a... pretty important bit of history i i would say um even as someone who is admittedly not an anime guy and um has to my great shame not seen a single miyazaki film um uh i think this is awesome i think a master filmmaker at 82 years old getting like this moment in 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 the united states is really cool uh Mm -hmm. i you know so uh it made just like a hair shy of 13 million dollars um and uh, what helped is that G Kids, the distributor, does a very good job at this sort of thing. And, and they had the you could either see the Japanese language one with subtitles, or you could see the English dub, which had like an all star cast. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. And then um, uh, just below that, the Lions Gate, uh, the Hunger Games, uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was at number two with nine point nine point four million. That movie is holding very well, but. The other big story is that Godzilla minus one, which we talked about last week, uh, held on to the number three spot and dropped just 27 percent. Toho actually extended the movie's run, allowing it to have another eight point three million dollar weekend. This was completely unexpected. This movie wasn't even originally supposed to be on the calendar this weekend. Uh, and, uh, it, it driven almost purely by word of mouth, very little advertising for this movie. Uh, and it has now made over $25 million domestically and running. Um, so this also marks the first time that me or any other box office analyst can find that two of the, the, uh, that, uh, of the three spots in the top 10, two of them were Japanese films. First time that's ever happened. Wow. So uh, a, a pretty amazing moment for Japanese cinema, specialty programming in North America, audiences demonstrating that they will come out for this stuff in the right situation. Yeah. Uh, leaves some stuff to talk about. The other thing we should mention real quick is that Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, which which topped the charts last weekend, plummeted, dropped 77%, made just $5 million in its second weekend. Look, the film's still going to be fine. AMC's distributing directly. It's a lot like the Taylor Swift thing. It's just not going to make nearly as much money as the Taylor Swift thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that. Uh, but that's another example of like, that. that's another film that sort of didn't hold on maybe as well as the industry had hoped. So that makes the weekend look a little barren. But Do um, you have in front of you the, the total that the um, Beyonce movie has made so far? Uh, indeed, I do. Because this, uh, my understanding is that this did... Uh, similar to what the Taylor Swift film did, and it didn't have showings throughout the week because Godzilla minus one, it was actually the number one movie a couple of days last week, which was really unexpected. Hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, to date it has made 28 million domestic. 
total. Okay. So, so, so I it, think that's like pretty close to what the reported budget for it was, right? Yeah, around then. And then yeah. it's made like just a little less than six million overseas, and I think it's still got a few markets to open in. So let's say this is probably going to finish thirty-five million, maybe forty million on the optimistic side domestically. Pull in another ten to fifteen overseas, possibly. Yeah, uh, I think that's still because then Beyonce will have the opportunity to release that on VOD, make a deal with a streaming service, Blu-ray, whatever. It's going to make money. It'll be yeah. Fun. And um, I think like I don't really know the ins and outs of how this stuff works, Ryan. So maybe you do, and maybe you can illuminate me a little bit. But like for something like this, where you know there's no studio involvement, she's she's going directly to AMC to um, you know to serve as the exhibitor for this thing. So you can put the movie if you're Beyonce and the the rest of the filmmaking team behind this, you can put the movie on VOD, and then. You can make a deal with the streamers for, you know, where the streamer will pay you X number of million dollars or whatever for the, the exclusive streaming rights. Right. And like, you know, is that's typically that kind of stuff is typically run through the studios that make these movies. But because there's no studio involved, like this seems like maybe an opportunity for Beyonce to just like make more money and, and you know, her her team to make more money, like selling those streaming rights directly. Is that how that works? Uh, look, this is a new method of distribution. Uh, so it, it's a little difficult to say, but my understanding is that's exactly it. Okay. Um, because AMC is not in the VOD business, really. They're not in the streaming business, really. AMC's motivation here was to be like, Hey, we can cut you a better deal for your theatrical release. And that's what AMC wants. They're not trying to get into the other business. Mm -hmm. So I imagine what's appealing about that for Beyonce or Taylor Swift is that yes, they can get, then go cut another deal. So they could make a deal with Netflix. They could just put it on VOD. They could do whatever, you know, and then that provides them with another deal to cut, another revenue stream. Yeah. And they're not having to necessarily cut in a studio on that. Okay. Um, so, because if they had made a deal with, let's say, Universal, let's say Sony, let's say whoever, yeah, then they're going to get a cut of that. So I imagine for Beyonce, even if this was a $28 million production and it doesn't necessarily profit purely in theaters, that VOD deal, whatever that is, or whatever Netflix deal, that's going to be where the money is made. So yeah, um, yeah, that that's more or less my understanding. Do you think that this, um, I guess, you know, we 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 kind of knew, I think, going into this, I think everyone suspected that this movie was not going to perform on the same level as Taylor Swift era's tour was going to. But do you think that the box office haul and that big drop in that second weekend, um, uh, I guess has any sort of bearing on other musicians making concert films and things like that. And the, you know, moving forward, like, do you think that that sort of um, provides like a, a yellow light, a little bit of caution for people like, Oh, you know, now, now we're physically seeing with our own eyes that not every single one of these concert movies is going to be like a big smash hit. So like, maybe we should pump the brakes on this kind of deal or, or what do you think about like what this says about, the future of what this could look like. I think there was well, a lot of conversation about like, oh, this can be like a brand new thing. And like the wave is coming of all of these different artists probably making movies like this. And I'm just wondering if you think that if that wave is still coming. Well, let's not forget that like the Eras tour also had a, a pretty significant drop in its second weekend, but it's just that its opening weekend was so damn big. Um, you know, so, so that, uh, yeah, because uh, the Eras tour dropped 64%. So yeah, 77 is bigger. Like, mm -hmm. let's not, you know, let's not, let's not, you know, 
undersell it. That's a bigger drop. But but I so I think that's sort of built into this model, right? You're you're going to expect that your hardcore fans are going to come out with more force opening weekends. You're going to suffer a bigger drop. But I think if you're a big enough artist and you budget well enough, this is still going to make sense. And this is still going to be something that's probably going to happen more. But again, gotcha. you got to be a big enough artist. I think like, you know, you're, if you're Rolling Stones, if you're U2, if even on like the hard rock side of things, maybe if you're Metallica, maybe if you're, you know, I, I, uh, I'm trying to think maybe even a band like Ghost, I'm not positive, but like, but depending on the budget, whatever, blah, 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 I think this can still totally work, but you have to understand that that's going to be built into it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think this changes the math too much, but I do think it is obviously something that, your next artist looking to do this is going to keep an eye on for yeah. sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's like a doomsday thing where like people are going to be like, Oh my God, it dropped. You know, I, I think it's just more like, yeah, okay. You know, that's probably the par for the course. Gotcha. Um, okay. So let's get into one piece of news that uh, you wrote about earlier today that I think um, is going to be kind of confusing for a lot of people, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to just talk about it on the podcast and try to like, um, you know, elide some of that confusion and help people understand what's going on here. So, uh, Showtime is rebranding as Paramount Plus with Paramount Plus with Showtime, and they've already done this to some degree. But tell me more about what exactly is happening here, Ryan. Yeah. So look, um, this is, and I say this as someone who we talk a lot about this on the podcast. I follow this business stuff a lot. We talk a lot about the streaming wars. Uh, I do this for a living, and and I'm going to say right up top that even elements of this are confusing to me. <laughs> so let's start there. But uh, yeah, so what's going on is that Showtime, a a premium cable channel right up there with the likes of HBO that has been around for more than 40 years, is rebranding as uh, as Paramount Plus with Showtime. Now, what happened last year is that, or earlier this year, apologies, is that Paramount Plus had already rebranded its top tier streaming offering as Paramount Plus with Showtime. So the idea is that Showtime is one of the biggest well-known cable brands owned by Paramount. So they kind of wanted to fold that into their streaming offerings. But now they also need to, in turn, bring more attention to Paramount Plus because as we say all the time, streaming is the future. Cable cutting continues, uh, cord cutting continues to happen. Cable will not be there forever. Mm -hmm. So this seems like a move to bring more attention to Paramount Plus uh, via Showtime. So, so to be extra clear here, the cable, the channel itself is being called Paramount Plus with Showtime as of like, whatever the date is, January January 8th, January of next year, right? So just a few weeks from now, if you're flipping the channels, if you do still subscribe, or you know, if you still are a cable user, uh, the name Showtime will no longer be there, it will be switched to Paramount Plus with Showtime, even on like the linear cable channel. Yeah, this is, is that's exactly stuff. what it is. This is the this is a change for linear Showtime, as in what Showtime has typically been. Um, so yeah, so you know, so yeah, if you're flipping channels, if you if you call, let's say you subscribe to DirecTV and you're like, hey, I want to add Showtime, you're now going to say, or they're going to tell you, okay, we, you want to add Paramount Plus with Showtime, it's not just Showtime anymore. So um, the, the big confusion factor in that exact, let, let's stick with that situation that you just said, Ryan. So like somebody says, somebody subscribed to, subscribes to cable. I, I'm not sure how big of a, you know, an audience metric this is going to be, like how many people this will actually apply to. But for this fictional scenario, let's say that somebody subscribes to cable or, you know, like is a, is a cable user and wants to add what is now being called Paramount Plus with Showtime to their cable bundle, Right. So they call some, they call up their provider, DirecTV or whoever, 
and they say, hey, I want to I want to add this. What are they actually going to get when they when that happens? They will get uh, uh, the, the what Showtime is now. They will get the linear offering that is Showtime, but it will just have a different name. The, the big difference is that what's going to happen is certain Paramount Plus originals will now be available to Showtime. So that includes like Halo, Mayor of Kingstown, Star Trek Discovery, Wolfpack, and uh, the upcoming Sexy Beast TV series. Those will like then be part of Showtime's offerings where like those will be broadcast on Showtime or... I okay, so like, whereas those were, were previously streaming only projects. Those were previously streaming only on Paramount Plus yep. specifically. Yep. So 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 essentially it opens up a little bit more programming for, for... And then I think really what that is is that's ultimately like oh, I didn't know what these shows were. Oh, that's on Paramount Plus. Well, maybe I want to go subscribe to Paramount Plus because the other confusing thing here is even though they have the same name, Paramount's top streaming offering is called Paramount Plus with Showtime. And now what was formerly Showtime will be known as Paramount Plus with Showtime. Both those have the same name. Mm -hmm. But if you subscribe to the linear cable offering, that doesn't mean you get the streaming automatically. It, 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 It means that it, it, it means you would still technically need to pay to subscribe to Paramount Plus. Like it's, it's, I yeah. and this is where it gets really confusing because the other part of it is that some of these cable companies have like streaming packages where you might have access to some of this programming through a streaming package that you're granted by your cable or satellite provider. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 what's what what ultimately we're talking about here is two different offerings with the same name that give you different things. Yeah, that does not seem like the smartest thing to do, but I guess like in a world where branding matters, like I don't know, like if branding does matter, why wouldn't they try to differentiate this stuff more, right? I, I don't know. I can't. I can't. Well, because I think they're trying to use both to raise the other. Like they're trying to use Showtime to bolster Paramount Plus, but they're also trying to use Paramount Plus to sort of bolster Showtime. But they also sort of like are trying to sort of get to that linear audience a bit. Well, they can. Yeah. Because I think the thing you and I had a bit of a conversation on Friday. Uh, I guess we don't need to get into that totally, but, but. Paramount is either going to get sold at some point or there's going to be like a takeover within the company. Like there's going to be a bit of a something. Paramount won't won't survive as it exists. So something's going to have to happen. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the accepted. That's not me saying that. That's like the accepted wisdom within Hollywood and analysts and people that do this. Mm -hmm. So you have to set yourself up for success in the future, which is going to be streaming. And as of right now, streaming is pretty much only profitable for Netflix. Like everyone else is trying to find a way to get to profit. Paramount Plus, as I understand it, is not really close to that. So you got to start positioning things for like Showtime is primarily a a cable offering. And eventually that's not going to really do the trick. So I, I guess this is an attempt to sort of try to pivot to the future, whatever. But yeah, so you have to do something. I don't know if this is the right thing. I don't know how confusing this is going to be for people. I don't know if it, it, it's, but you know, it's, it's part of a, it's part of the synergy. I can uh, yeah. <laughs> read you the confusing in the um, press release. Paramount said the move aligns, uh, aligns the brand with the Paramount plus with Showtime plan, a cornerstone integration for the streaming service, making this the first of its kind multi-platform brand that integrates streaming and linear content. 
I, okay. I, I don't know what that means to anyone who doesn't <laughs> do this for a living. Um, so it, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're trying to position this as like some revolutionary thing, but really it's just, you know, sort yeah. of attempting to, to look toward the future. So, okay. Um, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to link to the article that you wrote in the show notes and I encourage people, you know, if you're still confused about this and I would not blame you at all <laughs> because like, you know, like Ryan said, we're still a little bit confused about some of this. Um, you know, if you're a visual learner, sometimes it helps to actually like sit there and read this stuff out instead of like listen to people talk about it. So I encourage you to, to click on the article and, and try to get more details there. Um, let's take a break, Ryan, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about uh, what we've been watching. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc spring is that you warmer temps mean new allbirds styles meet the super light collection the lightest ever shoes from allbirds now in fresh colors they've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet the lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters. Because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. 
Okay, so let's get into the water cooler just for a short bit. And we have a few things that we wanted to talk about that we've been watching recently. Uh, the end of the year is coming up quickly. You and I are sort of like cramming a bunch of stuff in as we uh, as we you know wrap up the year here. So you had a chance to watch a couple things. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I, I, as always ends up happening, uh, you, like I feel like this year, especially I've documented every new movie I've watched. And I feel like I've watched like a ton of movies. And then like you get to the end of the year and you're like, oh my God, there's like 50 things I still haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I, I had a little bit of time on, on Saturday, so I watched a couple things back to back. Um, and uh, I watched uh, The Burial, which was uh, stars uh, uh, Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, it's like a legal drama that dropped uh, maybe a month or so ago. And it just didn't really seem to get that much buzz, but I was really interested in it. And it feels like a very like 90s throwback legal thriller type thing. It's not really a thriller. It's got a bit more of a lighthearted tone, I guess. But um, Jamie Foxx is phenomenal in it. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is excellent in it. It's based on this true life court case about this guy who ran a series of uh, funeral homes and, and ran into some legal trouble and ended up fielding an offer from this giant company that was like consolidating funeral homes in, in like the Midwest and sort of preying on, on underprivileged communities and Jamie Foxx plays this like hotshot lawyer and, and ends up getting pulled into the case. And it's like really for someone who loved that sort of thing. And these kind of movies just simply don't, we talk all the time about how these movies just don't get made that much anymore, at least with theatrical in mind. Um, it's really nice to see. It's just, and I really enjoyed it. It's just a shame that it kind of got buried on prime video and it doesn't feel like it's going to get the Oscar attention. It maybe deserves particularly for, I think Jamie Foxx and, and lead actor would be, something I would look at for this movie, but, but I really enjoyed it. And for people that just uh, are, are sort of looking for, for a not too serious, but not too unserious watch a uh, bit of a throwback to, to the nineties, I would say early two thousands type thriller. Uh, check it out. I really enjoyed it. Have you watched this one, Ben? Did you know I have, about it? I have not seen it. I saw the trailer and saw similar reactions to what you just said. Like, you know, a, a great sort of throwback vibe. Like if you're looking for something that's like familiar, but, um, you know, it's not like, uh, it's not going to like hurt your head to keep track of everything that's going on. You know, it's not like some cerebral thing or whatever. It's very like, um, meat and potatoes, like down the middle in the best kind of way. Um, yeah, the burial is on uh, Prime Video right now. So, um, yeah, what else yeah. have you been watching, Ryan? Uh, the other thing I caught up with, I did a weird double feature. Then after that, I, I caught uh, Theater Camp, which was a uh, Searchlight Pictures release earlier this year. It did a little bit of business in theaters, but kind of, kind of just got buried by a bunch of other stuff. And so it's a comedy, um, and it's and it's basically about a, a summer camp uh, for theater kids, and uh, and it's and it's like a documentary style film where this theater camp it's sort of um leader ends up in a situation where she can no longer watch i don't want to give much away but watch over the camp and so her son who has no interest in this stuff ends up coming over and um i was a theater kid like that's what i i spent most of my junior and senior year in my drama department in my high school and i thought that's what i was going to do for a living so this sort of really spoke to me and it's not as outright funny as I thought it was going to be. Like, it's definitely funny. I chuckled a bit, but it's more like sweet than I thought. Like, it made me smile a lot more. Like, and it just and it just was like a, a very nice movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't know how else to explain. It. It's like, oh, that's nice. You know, that's kind of the sort of feeling I was left with. And uh, uh, if it was up to me, the final production number in this movie, again, I don't want to give much away, but uh, would be among 
some of the best scenes in any movie this whole year. Um, uh, But yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's on Hulu now. So I'd really recommend if you just, if if you were a theater kid, if you're just looking for a comedy, if you're looking for something to make you smile, um, a a good film, Uh, a Molly Gordon and Ben Platt uh, uh, anchor it. Uh, Molly Gordon makes her uh, co-feature directorial debut here. Um, uh, Jimmy Tatro uh, also anchors it. He was also in a, if you ever saw American Vandal on Netflix, um, but yeah, it's a great, super fun movie. So, so I, I would hi- highly recommend it. Yeah. I saw this and talked about it a little while ago on, uh, on an earlier episode of the podcast and I'm very glad you enjoyed it, Ryan. I'm, I'm frankly, I'm kind of reeling from the reveal that you you were a theater kid, like your analytical mind. Uh, I, I would not, um, square that with a past of you, you know, being on the stage. <laughs> like that's kind of wild. Well, to me. well, I, I did, I did a little bit of acting, but I was more, um, I did a little bit of everything, but but I I did a lot of stage stuff. But then I also wrote stuff, which might not surprise you. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I wrote a few one act plays that got produced. One of which actually was produced by multiple high schools. Weirdly enough, nice. And then and then uh, and then um. So I thought my 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 not to get too off track, but my what I thought my path was going to be originally was I thought I was going to go get a um technical theater degree and then like write plays. And I was very convinced that I was going to do theater and then that didn't end up being the case, but, but yeah, so I was, I guess a bit more of a creative type, but then I think I realized that that wasn't really, that didn't really suit me. Um, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, but yeah, I, cool. I was indeed a theater kid. That's um, awesome. Uh, uh, what about you, man? What have you, what, cause I, I imagine you're doing the same thing I'm doing right now where you're just sort of scrambling to get through stuff that you haven't seen yet. I am. Yes. Cramming in a bunch of stuff. Um, one thing that, uh, that I, watch that is not I knew was not going to be you know on on any of my like potential best of lists or anything but um that I I was sort of watching as like a palate cleanser in between a lot of like some some heavy stuff that I've been watching is uh speaking of theater kids a project on Apple TV plus called Hannah Waddingham home for Christmas which is this big sort of like uh, comedy slash concert movie it's only like around an hour long uh and it stars hannah waddingham who uh plays rebecca on ted lasso and anyone who has seen that show knows that she has a killer voice so that is like undeniable i'm not questioning that at all but this is more of like an old-timey type of thing where there's a set list but there's also some banter and jokes and bits and stuff like that in between it's like a throwback holiday special right isn't that kind of yeah, yeah yeah it is but but all of the stuff where people are not singing, I found to be abysmal. <laughs> um, so like conceptually, I think this is a great idea, but my problem is in the writing, like the writing is just awful. And the execution of it is not particularly great either. Like sometimes you have performers who can sort of um, you know, blunt the impact of bad dialogue or terrible jokes with like uh, an inherent charm that they have. But the people who are joining her on stage here, some of which are, are her um, Ted Lasso co-stars, they either just like don't really have that ability or they weren't on their game when the camera, the cameras were, were rolling here. Um, so I kind of felt like the whole special feels a little bit like an afterthought, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, I would say just search YouTube for the clip of when she sings, please come, uh, please come home for Christmas with, um, Leslie Odom jr, which is really great. And then there's also a, a, a highlight of when she sings, have yourself a merry little Christmas with Phil Dunster, the guy who plays Jamie Tart on the show. Um, but otherwise, I would say skip this. Like, even if you're a Ted Lasso fan, uh, I kind of fell off my my fandom of that show in the latter seasons. But uh, even if you're like a big fan of the show, I just don't think the comedy and and like the 
jokiness and stuff really <laughs> holds up very well. So that's called Hannah Waddingham Home for Christmas. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, I also saw a Finnish movie called Fallen Leaves. Um, this movie's like 80 minutes long, which is uh, a really, it was nice to see in a sea of movies that feel like they're, you know, two and a half hours plus or whatever that I'm trying to cram in at the end of the year. I'm like, oh, thank <laughs> God, an 80 minute movie. Perfect. Um, yeah, because so I almost watched Leave the World Behind this weekend, but then I was like, I, I was trying to squeeze in two movies and I saw it was like two hours, 25. I'm like, well, sorry. <laughs> like, yeah, it just immediately yeah. was like, no dice. It's tough at this time of year. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, this is a finished film from writer-director Aki Kurismaki. It won the jury prize at this year's Cannes Con Film Festival, Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and it is going to be the Finnish entry for the best international feature at the next Oscar ceremony. And it's about, it's a very, very low-key movie. It's about two single 40-something people in Helsinki, a woman named Ansa and a guy named Holopa, who meet and begin to fall for each other and... Uh, it's just like a very low key romance. Like every time a character turns on the radio, there's a news broadcast about the war in Ukraine. And that, you know, introduces like a sliver of, um, I don't know, seriousness, like, uh, pathos, darkness, whatever you want to call it, uh, into this movie. But like, it's clear that, um, the war is weighing on these characters and that's a quiet thing that's not really commented on in the movie itself very much. But I think that's part of what the movie itself is trying to say, like, this idea of being able to compartmentalize and sort of engage in romance and feel all of the emotions that we're supposed to feel as human beings, even while catastrophic things are happening in the world. I think that's kind of part of, of what this movie is trying to you know, put forth out there. Um, these two characters cross in and out of each other's lives for a bunch of different reasons. Some as innocent as like a misplaced phone number and some as serious as one character is an alcoholic. But uh, ultimately, yeah, I found this to be like a very enjoyable little romance that may be like the, the most chill movie of 2023 um, <laughs> the most chill movie of 2023 yeah is a great thing to put on a poster it's just very quiet very uh wry like it's it's funny in a very quiet way kind of in that same way that you're talking about where like you, you're just smiling a lot you're not really like laughing out loud but um oh and there's also a great dog that shows up near the end of this movie so uh that's always a plus oh so, that yeah, is always a plus uh, it's called Fallen Leaves, and I believe it's streaming on MUBI, um, the streaming service MUBI, uh, M-U-B-I. And if it's not streaming there right now, then it will be very shortly. So Yeah, because uh, this is going to be an interesting year for the international feature at the Oscars because we've got that. And then I like uh, I, I read that Godzilla Minus One is actually going to be the uh, Japan selection, I believe. Is that um, true? I don't. I don't know if that's true. I, I thought um, that even like the boy and the heron was not going to be Japan's selection. I thought I, for some reason I thought Japan had already made their selection. It was like some. It was. It was neither of those movies. I'll have to double check that. Maybe I'll. I'm I'll not positive, back, but, but I've been reading a bit of that, and I and I, I don't know if that. I mean, if that's. I mean, because at this point, the way the reception has been, it wouldn't surprise me. But I. I don't know. Yeah. But. Uh, but anyway, okay. yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, uh, what, what, is there anything else you're trying to squeeze in that you haven't seen yet before the year? Like, are there are there ones on your list right now? Like, damn, I got to find time for this. Yes. Um. I am desperately trying to watch uh the color purple, which it comes out in theaters. Like, uh, I think it's Christmas Day. And then um, I'm trying to think what else is on my list. I think there's one more. Um, oh, The Taste of Things, which is, um, I don't, I'm trying to remember what country that comes from, but that's another international feature. Um, but that one's like two hours and 25 minutes or something. So right. I've just been like trying to figure out uh, where to, to squeeze that in. There, there are a couple more, uh, but those are the big ones that I'm like, I can't let the, you know, my my voting window close without seeing these. So Totally. Um, 
the last thing I wanted to mention really quickly is I, I caught up with Dream Scenario. Did you see this at a film festival earlier this year? No, I just watched it. Uh, I just I, I I went and saw it with uh, with my girlfriend because uh, I was I really wanted to see it. And uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I loved it. Okay, yeah, I was curious. So Nick Cage plays this middle-aged, boring professor who starts popping up in people's dreams. We've talked about this on the podcast before, um, so I won't really like rehash the plot. But the, to me, like the whole movie kind of seems like a, a big be careful what you wish for parable because at first Cage's character is like relishing the attention and he loves being treated like a celebrity. But then I was surprised to see that the movie takes a a kind of dark turn and like his dream self starts doing things to people in their nightmares that is, that are just like awful. And, and it leads everybody to treating his character as if he's actually done something wrong in his waking life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it takes, I, I didn't want to say too much about it. Cause I feel like this is one people are going to catch up, catch up with, but it low key sort of turns into a bit of a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and again, without saying much, the ending of the movie devastated me. Like mm. there, there is, I don't, again, I don't want to say, but I don't know how you felt, but like there, there's, there's a lot to be said for the end of that movie. And uh, speaking of Oscar stuff in a good and just world, Cage would definitely be nominated for best actor. He is phenomenal in the movie. Yeah, I um, thought he was very, very good. And there, I don't know, there are some good moments in this movie, but I wasn't like fully blown away by it. I think maybe the best thing about it for me was like, it seems like a pretty small budget, uh, a small budgeted movie. And I thought it used dream imagery in a really effective way to kind of like expand the scope and make the movie feel much bigger and more epic than it actually is. Um, so I, I appreciated that aspect of it. I also thought that the movie is kind of like, uh, I don't know, it was clearly interested in, in exploring how sudden fame can drastically impact a person, a person's life. And, um, you know, it touches on like cancel culture and like insincere apologies and these rhythms that we've seen play out time yeah and, time and i think again. the big thing of like what's real and what's not because so many people are like not interacting with the real world in a meaningful way right now yeah. and yeah. so i think that's what it, it's pretty it's it's one of those things where like again i've talked about this all the time i'm not a guy that really picks up on a lot in movies like I, i'm a very surface level watcher but what it's trying to say is is pretty crystal clear yeah um yeah. and but yeah i think cage is like a uniquely qualified guy to sort of address fame you know, because like he's yeah. got a very unique form of fame. And I think that's maybe why he kind of does so well in the role. And yeah, I'm with you. Like, I don't know, like I was blown away by it. Like, I don't think it's like it's not going to make my top of the year or anything. But I think it's like a really good movie. Like, and it's a very interesting movie. And I think it's one that people should seek out. Yeah, there's a lot to chew on. And there's some funny stuff in it. There's one cameo, uh, a small role that I did not see coming. And I thought that was hilarious. So um, there's a couple yeah. in there. There's I don't they, they, Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, yeah. And near the end of the movie, the, the film takes like another turn that I won't give away. Um, but yeah, some more famous faces pop up at the end, too. So yeah, anyway, it, it's, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff to chew on in there. I didn't find it, you know, like, uh, particularly like, um, illuminating across the board but some things I, I found more interesting than others but um but yeah i think it's definitely worth checking out so that's called dream scenario and it's in theaters right now um all right i think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show you can find more about all the things that we mentioned on today's show at slash film.com slash film daily is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.